0: is
1: Right from the very beginning, we see exactly the methodology of the enemy of humanity, the enemy of God right there has God said this right away seeking to cast down on God's word right away every single time wherever it begins it always begins right there has God really said this
0: we seem to live in a world where no one wants to take responsibility for the things they do it's their parents fault or the environment they grew up in or systematic whatever and why do we all do this As Pastor Daniel will be teaching, this is just the latest version of the first game, the blame game. You'll see in the teaching today the first time this game was played, as well as what led up to our first parents playing this game at all. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 3 as he begins his message, A Garden of Calamity.
1: Let's open up in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 as we continue our study that we're calling origins through the book of Genesis. We call it origins because the book of Genesis is really the beginning or the origin of everything except for God because God had no beginning nor no end. So we're here in Genesis chapter 3. If you recall, we saw in Genesis chapter 2, we called this the gospel prelude because really Genesis chapter 2 takes us back out and focuses in on both the creation of man, Adam and Eve, the way God did that, and the fact that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. We saw in verses 15, 16, and 17 that God gave mankind the blessing of vocation or work. We saw God gave mankind the blessing of permission that they could eat freely of every tree, but also God gave them a prohibition. They could eat freely of everything except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2 ends with a simple statement. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife. They were not ashamed. So we have Adam and his wife Eve, naked but unashamed. And we're going to see now in Genesis chapter 3 that by the end of this chapter, they're going to need to be covered and they're going to know shame. We're going to only take half of this chapter tonight. And the reason we're going to do this is because this chapter, Genesis chapter 3, much like Genesis chapter 1, is so foundational to not only a Christian worldview, but it's foundational to how you view humanity. So you have to realize that every belief structure, every philosophical way to view the world From whatever vantage point, whether it's a philosophical vantage point, whether it's a religious vantage point, whether it's a secular vantage point, everybody views the world through a lens through which they view humanity. Depending on how somebody articulates what the human condition is radically affects everything that they believe, because we're humans, And we're trying to explain what it means to be human. Now, we've already seen in Genesis chapter 1, we've seen that God created man in his image according to his likeness. We see the majesty and the glory of mankind being created in the image and likeness of God. But then, of course, in Genesis chapter 2, we get the reality that man was created of the dust of the earth. We get the creatureliness of humanity. We get, although created in the image and likeness of God, man is also tied to the earth. We're made of earthly stuff. Someone said that if you took all the matter that it takes to make our bodies and you broke it all down, don't worry, we're not going to do it. We sold it. You'd only make three bucks. You make more on scrap metal than you do on a bunch of dirt, don't you? But we see these two, they seem to be contrasting, but they're really not. Humanity created in the image and likeness of God, but also very much earthbound, created of the things of the earth. And now in chapter 3, we're going to see something else, something that is so common. You don't need to read your Bible to understand what this is. The Bible teaches us how it happened, but all you need to do is read the news. All you need to do is talk to the people who live next to you. All you need to do is look at your own life. And you're going to see the fruit of what went on thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. We don't need the Bible to show us examples of this, but the Bible teaches us where it began, how it happened. So it begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more... You eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All of a sudden, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made." And he says to the woman, so we've seen God, we've seen the spirit of God, we've seen Adam and Eve, we've seen the beginning of science where Adam names all the animals, and now we get one of these animals, the serpent. And it says that the serpent was more cunning. And that word cunning in the Hebrew isn't necessarily a bad word. It really means wisdom or shrewdness or craftiness. So when you think of the word cunning, oftentimes it has a pejorative or a negative overtone, but it really just means shrewdness. And we know that Jesus actually commends shrewdness in the Gospels. That being shrewd isn't a bad thing. It's using wisdom. But we have this serpent here. And he is more shrewd. Now, who is the serpent? We know throughout Scripture that the serpent is it's Satan. You get it from Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Called him that serpent of old. Now, the reality here is that Satan came to speak to Eve in an animal. And you might say to yourself, well, do we really believe that? Remember, Jesus sent Legion, the demons, into a herd of swine, right, in the Gospels. So the reality is, is there is the opportunity for Satan to enter creatures. All through the Gospels, we see this. Now, we live in a culture that's too sophisticated to say that spirits there could be spiritual embodiments or demon possession we have other words for some of these things but the bible teaches it from cover to cover and what's interesting is if you travel out of the west into some other places you find this a little bit more profoundly than we see it here but the reality here is you have satan here and satan is speaking to Eve. Now you might say, I mean, you got to be kidding me. I mean, Daniel, you're an educated person. You actually believe that animals can talk to humans? We know that, of course, Balaam's donkey spoke to him. You guys remember that story in the book of Numbers? I mean, it would be pretty shocking, wouldn't it? You might say, but how is this possible? You guys ever see a, one of those birds who can speak to you? Hey, how does that happen? So, I mean, there's a lot of examples of this. If you look on YouTube, you can find dogs that can talk to you, too. So, it's interesting that when, you know, people, people find a lot of reasons not to believe the Bible's true, but an animal with the ability to talk shouldn't be one of them. I mean, just go put a talking animal into YouTube and see all the hits you get, all the different videos. And this doesn't even have any supernatural overtones. This is just people sitting there with their dog, you know, with a doggy treat and being like, "Say hi, say hi," and give a little doggy treat, you know, and and after twenty thousand hours of doing this, they can tell you, "Hi, it's nice to meet you," and it's just, a, you know, just by human effort. But it's interesting here that Satan comes with a simple question. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? This is the extent of how Satan approaches Eve. Has God said this? And right from the very beginning, we see exactly the methodology of the enemy of humanity, the enemy of God right there. Has God said this? Right away, seeking to cast down on God's word. Right away. Every single time. Wherever it begins, it always begins right there. Has God really said this? How often when you or I are tempted to live in a way that we look back on later and we say, you know, this ain't okay. How often is it God's word says it, but do I really believe it? Should I really follow that? Is that really the truth? Satan's got a one-string guitar that he plays over and over and over again. And what's amazing is that humanity keeps falling for it over and over and over again. It's kind of like all Satan needs is one move because it works every time. Just this one move. Casting doubt on the word of God. Now, in verse 2, look, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what's interesting here is that Eve's fatal mistake is she decides she's going to have a conversation about this. Brothers and sisters, look, I want to give you what I would consider to be Christian living 101. When God's word says it, just do it. I mean, I stole that from Nike. Nike stole that from the Bible. It's like every time the discussion begins, you know where it's going to end, right? Because when the discussion begins, we're trying to find a loophole, aren't we? See, Eve doesn't need to have a conversation with the serpent, She could just say, Listen, the Lord rebuke you, go away. But instead, she decides to dialogue on the subject. She says, Yeah, we may eat of all the trees of the garden, but that one tree, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. You notice something strange here? The end of verse 3, she adds to God's word. Nowhere in Genesis 1 to chapter 3 does it say that you shouldn't eat it nor touch it. She says, Don't eat it. But now, Eve is adding on to the word of God. And you know what, as Christians, we got to be careful of this. we got to be careful that we're not injecting more into the word that's there. We know it says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. How often do Christians add to the word of God? Like you need to be born again and vote Republican to be Righteousness. If I was in the Bay Area where I just was, I'd say, you have to be born again and Democrat to be righteous. And they laugh at that one because they, different strokes, you know. It says that you need to be born again and you're righteous. We gotta be careful not to add to God's word. God says what he means. He means what he says. And we don't need to doctor it up. How often do people hold Biblical beliefs that aren't in the Bible because they're trying to make sure something else doesn't mean it. Like I was talking to someone recently, they said, well, if you believe that, what about the potential of this and this? I'm like, well, look, you can have the potential of those things, but when God's word is silent, what should we be? Silent also. Eve is right that she should need it, but she's adding on to the thing. Now, you might say, well, she's putting a fence around, she's trying to protect herself, and maybe that's True. But the reality is, is, God doesn't need us to add to his word. If it needed more, he would have put more in there. If he needed further clarification, he would have done it. But he didn't do it. When we get to verse four, look at what Satan does. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow. God says, if you eat of it, you will surely die and the serpent says, no, you won't. Wow. He blatantly lies. He blatantly lies. See, in the end of the day, either they're going to eat it and die or they're going to eat it and not die. God says that if they eat it, they're going to die. Satan says if they eat it, they won't die. And in the end of the day, both can't be right. And we all know how the story goes, right? What are the only two constants in life? Death and taxes, right? Satan lied. Because all people die. Death is part of this now. And the reality is this, you guys. Straight up, right to the point, sin equals death. And when God says something is the case, it is the case. And every argument, as right as it may sound, as much as it appeals to our culture or our own personal dispositions, when God says it, we need to say, okay, God is right. So when God says that homosexuality is a sinful behavior in his word, we need to believe that. Now, should we go and condemn people who are doing that? No. Should we go and judge them? No. But should we tell them that what they're doing is all right in the eyes of God? No. We can't do that. Just the way if somebody who is a heterosexual is involved in sexual immorality. You love them enough to say, hey, look, don't do that. That's bad. That's a sin. You see, no matter what the culture says, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And I don't know about you all, but God tells us what he wants us to know. And he's not trying to mess around with us. Like, I'm going to tell you this, but it's not really true. He tells us the truth. Satan lies. And Jesus says this in John eight forty four. He says, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan's been a liar from the beginning. He promotes falsehood and lies. And not only does he say, no, God's wrong, he also calls into question God's goodness. Look what he says. For God knows, in verse 5, that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's saying, look, you know why God doesn't want you to eat it? Because God is the great cosmic killjoy. You have an opportunity for God-likeness and God's messing with you. You know what the irony of this is? Adam and Eve were already like God. They were created in the image and likeness of God. They were already there. But you know, how often when we live in a way that goes against the Bible, against the clear teachings of Scripture, how often is because we think God is holding out on us? Like we think, well, God says it, but it doesn't really mean that. There was an article that came out, 70% of single Christian people are having sex outside of marriage. Seven out of 10. That's an awful statistic. But the reason people do that is because they see what God's saying. They're saying, God, you know, but it feels so good. And I want that connection. And my body craves it. And these type of things. As if God is the great cosmic killjoy. You know, he's the guy at the party who's dour, like, don't laugh. Don't have fun. God's not like that. He's not like that at all. See, the thing is, is because at the moment that we believe the lie, we do it and we have a sin that's pleasurable for a season, but God knows the long-term story. If I had a nickel for every time a young gal came to talk to me because she made some mistakes and the guy said he loved her and all that stuff, I would be way down with nickels. And that conversation always comes with tears. But at the moment, we believe that God's holding at us. God, listen, God, he has his best for us. That's why God says, don't do certain things. Because God has our best in mind. It's fascinating. Satan appeals to humanity's greatest desire. And that is to be like God. Really, this is exactly what Satan wanted. If you read Isaiah chapter 14... Verses 12 to 15, this is what it says. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you have cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. See that? That's Satan's heart. I, I, I. But yet it says in verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. See, most people don't believe in Jesus because they want to be on the throne. I can say that because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I look back on my life before I was a Christian, and absolutely, I don't want anyone to be my Lord. I'm my Lord. I do what I want. This is my life. The old TV sitcom, you have one life to live. If you don't look out for yourself, who will? If you don't do what you want to do, no one's going to do it for you. Your life is your own. You're the master of your own destiny. It's our desire to be God. And we get that from Satan. Now, look at what happens in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Wow. Notice Eve saw that the tree was good for food. First, it was pleasant to the eyes. Second, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise. There's three points of temptation for Eve. Now it's interesting. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, it says this in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I call these the big three. Because this scheme of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is the exact same way. If you look at Satan's temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, Satan tries to tempt Jesus the exact same way. Here you get, when she saw that the tree was good for food. That's the desires of the flesh. Jesus is-
0: So today, Pastor Daniel shared the story of the fall of mankind, mankind's first rebellion, actually. Adam and Eve chose to do the one thing God told them not to do. Kind of sounds like us, right? There was the first animal sacrifice, God killing one of his creatures to give Adam and Eve proper clothing. The whole sequence of events is sad, but there God is continuing to love Adam and Eve just as he does us today. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower
1: of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D
0: to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel's going to dive further into the sinful nature of mankind. He'll talk about how sin can corrupt normal things, things that God has given to us for our enjoyment, or to fulfill legitimate needs that people have. You'll discover a different way to maybe look at your life or how you're living your life. God designed a way for us to live, and as his followers, it's important for us to work at living our lives his way. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Origins. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.